thought he was weak, but instead he was sneaky when you should have let DK take your PK. It's that so MLS! <laughs> Playoff edition with myself, Nick Thornton, and with me as always is Andrew Bates. Andrew, how are you doing? I am doing great. This is a North American soccer podcast. I am so excited to talk with you about uh, about this this most recent game, this this semifinal, the conference semi. So this this quarterfinal round of games. It was interesting. Well, for the most part, I feel like a little bit. Not to not to be like you know to have as much critique, but it kind of felt compared to the previous rounds that there was a little bit less back and forth. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the in in a lot of the games, the team that went up was the team that won. Yeah, that's true. There was a little less drama. I mean, there were certainly moments in each game, but I I felt like uh, maybe fewer surprises and a couple of like a little bit more open and shut for sure um i mean i i think it's also i know that people like sports as an escape but i also just i kept having the feeling like cases are just so bad everywhere right now and to be watching games and have fans in the stands considering all that's going on i felt like it's just given playoffs a really bizarre kind of feeling where it's like it i have this like sort of sinking feeling (laughs) or like almost ashamed that i'm enjoying it you know like it's just uh it's weird i i totally valid and and the feeling of of being like of having guilt about around that i really understand and i think the issue and why they shouldn't be letting fans in at all is that when you start letting in some fans you start to realize that the games as a TV product alone, the games with fans are slightly more interesting and have slightly more feedback. And I'm sure they understand that at the, at the, at the center of the league. So when you have like a little bit now, I'm sure everybody is asking, uh, can we have a little bit more? Can we have a little bit more? I'm sure that (laughs) as, as, as messed up as it is, that like the league office is thinking, man, I really hope that one of the seeds that can host fans is going <laughs> to host MLS Cup, which is a, a a bad way of thinking and why nobody should do it because it's yeah. this idea of once you've given yourself the permission to have fans, then you start thinking more about the aesthetics of it as opposed to the safety of it. Well, and as we've seen with lots of different things, it also lulls people, I think, into a, a false sense of security. That it's like, well, but while well, fans are allowed into a stadium for a live sporting event, then it can't be that serious. But it, it's it's like remarkable how things are so much worse now than they were <laughs> when we had total lockdowns. And yet it's like we're not slowing down or some places are not slowing down. And I, I mean, I have no evidence that like people coming into stadiums has been like a a mega spreader or anything like that but i mean at this point how well is contact tracing even working in the states if it's present in some states at all so it it just feels like such a massive risk to take for everyone's health um all for the as you say to like put some people on a on a screen and have the atmosphere because i mean ticket sales like (laughs) 
any revenue is good revenue, but having a couple thousand people, it's not like you're making, uh, you're <laughs> making back all your losses for having a couple of fans in. So I, I mean, like I said, I don't want to uh, dwell on it too much, but I, I guess maybe the sentiment here is really just, I hope people are, uh, staying safe and, uh, I hope everyone is keeping healthy. That's my, maybe, maybe that's more of what I'm trying to say is it just, it makes me think about how weird it is that sports are happening and fans are going to sports when so many people are dying in the United States. I have something to add to that. Um, very good point. Uh, the fact that Nashville Columbus took place on the day that it took place was like a legitimate travesty. I don't think that, Mm -hmm. I don't think that, that (laughs) the fact that Columbus had two players test positive and they had, uh, uh, they had an additional, they announced on the second that they had an additional player also test positive. In addition Mm -hmm. to the two, so the player test positive of on Monday night, Tuesday's testing on the team day off, uh, returned zero positives. Uh, so this was on, and this was on the what? This was on the Wednesday. The second was the Wednesday. So, uh, so on Wednesday they announced that a player had tested positive and was not going to. They were not going to do training on Wednesday. Uh, and they've had eight since November twenty second. They won the game against Nashville, but requiring them to continue to play the game when their teammates had tested positive, when we didn't know what was going to be announced through open training or like what other, uh, what other infection was going to happen through open training, which appears to have happened. If they had people test Mm -hmm. positive before the game and after the game, uh, unless they're, they're getting the infections from outside, you'd think that there's, they're still passing it around inside the organization. Um, the fact of that, that, it had to happen for the crew to continue in the playoffs because they would have to drop out if they couldn't find a, a, a time to replay the game is shameful. And it made me mm-hmm. very uncomfortable that it happened. Yeah. In addition to the fans of the Saints thing, which is also very, like, <laughs> it's just a bad scene! <laughs> yeah, it's just, I mean, and... Yeah, I guess part of it, too, is, like, I feel like it's getting normalized in my own brain. Like, that I'm just going to turn on the TV and see fans in a stadium if I'm watching MLS. It's just, it's... Well, they're having a, a back in, ment- in England, and it's a bad idea in England. It's a bad idea anywhere you you, you try them. Yeah. Um, But on the note of games, we do have to actually talk about the games themselves. <laughs> Um, where, where do you want to start with this? I mean, there, I thought overall it was four good games, um, even the ones that were a little bit more open and shut. I still I felt like they were good, and obviously some teams did a little better than others. Um, but yeah, where do you want I to start? I think one with of this? the emergent narratives, because it was among one of the first games, uh, was um, how New England went from bubble team to uh, to top contender and. and in conference finalist, um, real mm-hmm. fast. They of course had uh, the games against Montreal and Philadelphia, um, 
Montreal, of course, be a 50-50 in terms of whether whether or not you would count them as the favorite, but Philadelphia is the clear favorite. And I would say Orlando, uh, who they played on the 29th, um, you could really have considered as, as a team that had announced itself by winning MLS's back and had a number of players that were ready to, to, to do something special. And, Emma and New England, in exactly the same way as they did against Philadelphia, uh, got an early goal and then doubled up on that goal very quickly. Yeah. Um, on route to a three-one win, they. I don't think that compared to Philadelphia, what was so weird about that game was that it seemed like such a great team just failed to start. Yeah. And I don't think Orlando came out of the gates terrible, and I don't think they shut off when they went down to. Uh, 2-1. The first two, because that first goal, um, that first goal is a penalty after Tejan Buchanan is 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 pulled down um, on the outside. And that second one is kind of a weird one in that, you know, you have uh, Buchanan robs Nani of the ball, runs it down the wing, squares it to Buxa, who hits it off the post and off the near post and across the mouth of the goal to Bo, who, who who knocks him in. That's that's a right. That's the the second goal is that screen cap that I sent. Oh no, is it? Yeah, because I I when I was watching it, um, I I was th- I was trying to think of like okay, what like I need to go back and watch the highlights. I watched the whole game, but I was like, what what's the like what happened here? And I mean that one for me like. This is, it's not, I think it's like maybe five or six minutes after the first goal. Maybe it was 10. Um, but they, they give up this silly PK very early on. And then quite soon after that, uh, just are asleep on the second ball. You know, the, the defense, you've got your two center backs not tracking back. And it's hard when you have players so deep and in behind you. But if they're onside, it behooves you to get closer to them. You can't play the offside <laughs> trap if you're just not in the right position. And, like, it's a tricky ball to deal with. Um, and Bo is already there. But nobody's following him. Nobody's aware. Nobody's on that post um, ready to clear off the line. We certainly saw other games where similar types of opportunities were there and they were denied because the goalkeeper read it or because there was a, def- a last defender back guarding uh, the open space. But in my notes, I have, I think Orlando loses this in the first 25 minutes. I agree that I, I felt like there was lots of parts in the match where they were still in it and it's not, they didn't capitulate. It certainly wasn't like Philadelphia, as you said, but I kind of felt like despite everything that happened after that, it really is these two goals in the way they happened that f- I think kind of seals it for Orlando, <laughs> not just in practical terms of the fact they gave up the two goals, but like, it just seemed like they were pulled really out of sorts early on. And they seemed quite surprised by Bruce Arena's side. That sort of, that sort of, uh, you, you, you kind of describe it almost like a, uh, a knockdown punch where they get back up, but they just don't look, uh, they don't look as, as, as fast after that they don't they don't click as well 
Well, and I, I mean, and I guess, like, the thing that kind of refutes that a bit is Junior Urso does get his goal shortly after the second goal, so they're back within one um, in the second, or in the in the first half. So that's certainly something. And I felt like Orlando, for the most part, they kind of stayed in the game, but they played about as well as they have all year, which is, you know, looking really potent and threatening at times. But there's still just an awful lot of mistakes. I, th- I thought even outside of the penalty miss, Nani had a, a pretty terrible game. He hit a couple of just beautiful passes, but there was a lot of really errant passes. Almost every corner he took went nowhere. Uh, his shots were w- wild and all over the place. And um, I, I, I kind of wonder, like, was it, like, was it the team kind of getting under his skin a little bit early on, like? being in a situation where you're unexpectedly down 2-0, you've given up a penalty in the first 15 minutes, like the, the pressure of that. I know Nani's been in lots of high-pressure situations, but I don't know. Is, is that fair to heap it all on him? Or what, what, how do you kind of assess Orlando's overall kind of performance? It's hard not to... It's hard not to, to have at least a little bit of, of of judgment towards him because he misses the penalty kick. That would have tied it up, and also because if you look at like again going back to that um, that second goal, like it's mm-hmm. Buchanan who lights him up, and yeah. and you could certainly you could certainly find him at fault for not just that goal, not just the penalty, but also that goal, and 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 that is a part of it. I think I think that you're right that the two goals are so key to what the um, the overall issue is. But like we've seen with Orlando before and a couple other teams in this playoffs, uh, they also don't do them any favors with the weird freakout that see after uh, Pereira is sent off. Yeah. Yeah. Per- th- yeah. And that's where I, that's kind of where I, I'm forming this like revisionist narrative of, is the freak out because they're so unsettled in the first half and rather than just sort of like an isolated incident that, that blows up too much because as a, as a coach, I, I feel like Oscar Perea really lost control of this game and, and he's lost control of his team a number of times. Um, Orlando actually, and him ended up getting fined for their second and third mass confrontation protocol uh, violation. That sounds bad. They got their second and third one in the same <laughs> that game. sounds bad. It's not good. Every, as you know, you're allowed two before more disciplinary action is taken. And uh, they got those two in one game and they'd already had one before. And I mean, obviously, like we, we love uh, Oscar Perea and we think he's a great coach, but it is something he's struggled with. I mean, his Dallas days were marked by that as well. He, he's a very passionate man and a very passionate leader, but uh, sometimes at key times, I, I think he he reacts to what's going on in the field. The amount of vitriol and and just upset being shown towards the referee that really crossed a lot of lines, and Urso was lucky, lucky to stay on. Um, he was also subsequently fined. Like, putting hands all over the referee on something that is probably the most clear-cut red card we've seen, if not all season, certainly in the postseason. Like, there's just, up on the ankle. There's, it's an absolute mandatory sending off. And to have the reaction that is there, 
um, and the disagreement and the mass confrontation and the the pushing of players and the the barging into the ref is just it's so completely unnecessary and I, I wonder that at that well I don't I don't actually wonder I think that is a turning point for them where they they choose to go down a different path they're rattled their style for much of the rest of the game is very chaotic they have a couple of half chances but it's just they're not settled in it at all the first touch isn't good enough the final ball isn't good enough uh the passes are errant after this it it feels like a team playing down a man and being very frustrated and and i and i felt like new england through all of this just stayed very calm and and just executed their game plan you know i think that's a good read on the situation especially when it comes to the calmness of new england because i think that what has been so um, interesting about the performances against Orlando and against Philadelphia is, is an error. We joke all the time about MLS teams being underdogs, but like mm. a feeling of absolute being in control of the game, right? Like at no, at, at very few points in this game and in the, the last game, do you think that that New England is is playing up to a level where in any way feels that they can't handle what Orlando has to offer. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they do this pretty um, patiently. That That's uh, in the notes I have like, what does New England have that Orlando doesn't? <laughs> and I just put patience. <laughs> patience to see out a game, patience to trust their process, trust their approach. I, I feel like Orlando has had that. They have had a system that at times has been really successful this season. And, and I just feel like they, they really lost that early on into this game. I think, you know, the penalty, it's not an egregious one. It's not a great challenge. It's definitely a clear penalty, but they, they still have all their players on the pitch. Um, and I think it's an opportunity to, to reset as a team after that and go, okay, we, <laughs> we got our mistake out of the way. Let's regroup. Let's organize and it just sort of continued on from there. Like, even I feel like Junior Urso's goal is a good one, but it's, you know, it's capitalizing on a mistake, and it also feels like kind of their their only clear-cut chance uh, in the game. I agree with that. And, and I wonder, when you mentioned the penalty, you mentioned the fact that the penalty is is also, like, a good one. I wonder to what extent we were talking about the issues with the referees before. Um, to what extent the 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 Nani? Remember that Nani red card late the season where he got sent off and they cleared the uh, they cleared his his yeah. red card and then they didn't win but he scored. Yeah, I f- I wonder if there's just sort of like bad blood in that situation where even though the penalty is good. Or even the penalty is legitimate, and later on that red card is legitimate. That if they that that they don't settle, they don't have that moment of reset, like you say. Like they're just sort of wondering, almost like when the next shoe is like uh, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah, it could be. It could be. Um, you know, I know this is a very different side than what has existed in previous seasons, but. I, I also think it's, you know, you have players like Nani, you have players like Mueller that just didn't really do what they needed to do in this game. And I don't, I don't want to say they didn't show up, but, I mean, how many times did you hear Chris Mueller's name before he was subbed off? Like, 
The, it, the, one was, the one exception to that is that I thought he was he was the the animating factor on the Urso goal. Certainly, yeah. The, it should be said that that first, uh, um, well, I mean, not the first thirty-five minutes, but around the thirty-five minute mark, he is pretty influential in that goal. That's fair. Let's we let's give him credit where he's. It's due. but it's not um, the same. It's not the same as what it was like at the beginning of the season or what it was like at, at that's OMLS where he seemed like a really influential uh, player who is like making a lot of runs. The, the, mm-hmm. the, the point you make about not hearing his name very much is kind of the issue compared even, even though he still, you know, dug in and excavated that goal. Um, you still kind of miss that, uh, that points on the ball all the time. Yeah. Yeah, and it was just that final kind of lapse in concentration that we saw in that that second goal, um, you know, and and then Bo rings the bell late and gets the third goal to to really do the damage. And I mean, at that point, that you feel the game is over anyway, but it's just really heavy legs for Orlando. Um, and I I think overall, the thing that left me a little bit disappointed by their performance wasn't just the discipline thing, but it, it again, it's sort of this like like lack of ability to adjust to you know whatever their game plan was it was clear that they kind of needed to throw that out 15 minutes in and regroup and reset and it kind of felt like they just kept trying to play uh a a really bizarre attacking type of play that was very out of sequence like it didn't there was no fluidity at all to to their play and it felt like new england was kind of able to play around them and i wonder to what degree Philadelphia just not showing up to their game and having New England storm the house <laughs> kind of lulled us into a sense of complacency around New England because they really haven't faced tough competition yet. Um, and the, <laughs> the ironic thing is, I think Orlando gave a better fight than the and than Montreal. Well, maybe not Montreal. Montreal, I think, uh, gave a, a pretty good account for themselves. All things being told, but um, I, I still think Orlando is the better competitor that they've faced so far and they were still dispatched pretty easily. Um, and we'll talk about how that might affect their, their, um, their match against, uh, Columbus. Who did, uh, defeat Nashville despite having the, wait, 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 wait. sorry. I forgot. Very importantly in the sweepstakes of predictions. Yes. You said it was going to be two, two, and then Orlando would win on penalties. <laughs> that didn't happen. Did not happen. I called it 2 nothing, 3-1. I, I feel like, I, I mean... For who? It's kind of hard to say you were Orlando? right when you're... Or for, for, for New England? 2 nothing, New England yes. was my prediction. So, it was nice to be right about a game finally. And, and However... like you said, the game, <laughs> the, the game ended after that second goal, so premature correct. All right, sure, I'll take that. <laughs> That's exactly how I was thinking about it, too. However, in the Columbus-Nashville showdown, you said it was going to be one nothing for Columbus, and I said 3-2 for Nashville. Well, what happened? Uh, did I get the closest without going over? Did I win by Bryce's right rules? I think so. Uh, that was a 2 nothing after extra time, which was a which was an interesting result. The, the Nashville had two... Early chances with uh, Yonder Cadiz getting a header in the keeper's breadbasket and McCarty getting off the crossbar. 
Uh, Zardes had a good run in in the second half. Um, but not a lot going on in, in regular time. And as you, as you mentioned to me, uh, nothing of nothing much happening until, uh, the period of the, the, the periods of added time. Yeah. And I mean, we're usually pretty hard on games where, I mean, obviously in the course of trying to catch ourselves up, because invariably there's something that one of us misses, uh, we were always asking each other, like, you know, okay, is it worth it to go watch this whole thing or, or whatnot? You got to make efficient decisions. <laughs> um, but I felt like, okay, a soccer spectacle, this one was not. But the close scoreline, the reason why they went to added time, I think it would be very easy to be like, oh, it wasn't a very good game. I thought there was excellent soccer and uh, one of the most organized games I've seen all season. Yeah. And it was great to watch two top defending teams play each other. But as a spectacle, <laughs> sitting there watching it, there's an awful lot of like people kind of standing around, looking at each other, making a quick little pass. One person makes a run. Everything stops. Everybody resets. Like it's it it's a little bit more stop start and uh, not quite end to end as we're used to and is so fun to watch. But I felt like overall as a game, it was extremely well played soccer. I I feel that there are games where the two teams nullify each other's attacking approaches or they nullify each other's approaches in general. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you look at if if you hearing that description and looking at the fact that there were. 17 total shots, but four shots on target. It feels that this wasn't necessarily that kind of game. Would you agree with that? I think so, yeah. That there was stuff. Like, it wasn't like the teams... It wasn't like they both neutralized each other and it was a vacuum. Stuff happened. No, no, no. No. Stuff happened, for sure. It's just that, like, for 90 minutes, uh, there is an awful lot of... Um, it wasn't all just being bogged down in the middle of the park. There were lots of chances, but kind of half chances because players were so quick to close other players down. The marking overall was really tight. Um, I thought both teams played a really excellent line that pushed quite high, but without giving too much away. Um, there's a lot that <laughs> there's a lot to like. I mean, I don't have a ton of notes on this one. Um, but yeah, it, it's funny because, of course, you have this great game of soccer that's played with all these chances, but really everything happens <laughs> in added time. On the 99th minute, Zardes uh, runs it to the back line and plays it up to an onrushing Pedro Santos for goal number one. Uh, and if you thought that after all this time that we might get a, an equalizer and we might, we might continue something of a deadlock, uh, in fact, uh, a steady pace ball is hit for Zardes. Uh, who seals it at uh, 103 minutes for Luis Diaz. Yeah, I feel like on both goals, um, I think the, the first one, Nashville's just a little bit stretched and they're kind of scrambling to reset. Um, I think they see Pedro Santos, so he's he's being marked at least. <laughs> he's not in alone completely, but nobody really steps up because they're just... It's not quite a counter-attacking play, but they're struggling to get back in position, and it's just a great finish from Pedro Santos. So um, I don't. I think that's a goal that like nine times out of ten, Pedro Santos is going to score against anyone. So I, I don't think you can really say it's a mistake. 
Um, certainly, I think there will be things Nashville think they could do better. But the second goal, Nashville just looks tired, and they they look like they they're playing like a team that's already lost. And and that for me was maybe where the that final little polish that you're looking for in a really well established MLS team just wasn't there. That they have extraordinary talent and a great system. Gary Smith has done a fantastic job with this team, but in the second goal. Um, the defender Jones, he could have taken one step forward and he would have mm. had Zardes offside when that ball is played. But he's just, they're pushed up so high, he's not quite paying attention. And I think he he sees Zardes, but he doesn't really read the line. Because I, I think if he honestly takes one, maybe two small steps forward, Zardes would have been in an offside position when that ball was played, I, I think. So, but the, the real thing here is that you have a, a game where Nashville is pushing up, but you've got them on tired legs, and and that's always going to be an open invitation for somebody like Jesse Sardes to score. Um, which I he wonder, did quite you know, this is the second game we've seen end in in extra time, but before penalties. And I was going to say that that largely you look at this game and you, you, with the exception of that second goal, you you see two organized teams that basically stayed organized. It wasn't sort of like a Philadelphia situation where. It's like this team has been great, but it it, it didn't execute no. its game plan. Uh, Nashville executed the game plan. But I wonder if because of the mm-hmm. extreme schedule weirdness of this season and the tiredness that we saw build up at the end of the season, um, if there is a little bit more incentive to, for teams to try and win it in extra time if they feel that they could get a little bit more energy in that moment that you can catch teams napping a little. It's, I think that that sentiment is true. I don't think that's what Caleb Porter was setting out to do. I really felt like Columbus was trying to take this game to Nashville and put their stamp on it, which I was impressed with because I, I did feel like Nashville could have sat back and defended for 90 minutes, probably pretty comfortably. And I think they had mm-hmm. the exact right tactical approach against Nashville in wanting to counter their defensive style by really being quite attacking. And I felt like Gary Smith did a similar thing where he was like, probably Columbus is going to expect us to just sit back and absorb pressure. So we really have to take the game to them. So that's where you ended up with uh, lots of chances, but both teams also very prepared to do the defensive work. And yeah, I think tired legs played into it for sure. Um, Had this game been played three days later, uh, maybe a, Nashville could have gone the distance, but considering everything that Columbus went through to, to even have this game played, I, I don't think that's really a, a viable um, excuse, and certainly I don't think one Gary Smith will be utilizing a, a ton. But for me, I, I just come back to, um, you know, what a massive success this first season for Nashville has been overall. And how yeah. strong of a foundation they have to go forward. I mean, you really don't feel like there's a lot they need to adjust on this team. Um, obvi- obviously, they want more goals, but I don't even think they necessarily need to do a ton of trades to get that. I just think that's a case of getting the team to gel a bit more. And really, I just, I'm just i still just so thoroughly amazed by Joe Willis and his ability to completely reinvent himself with this club. And have such a strong performance. I, I thought that, um, you know, there's not much he could have done on either goal. 
and he had a great tournament. And I think it, I'm always happy to see an an MLS veteran stick around and kind of get their their second life, right? Like he's he should be in his prime, and he is. And there's lots of goalkeepers in MLS. <laughs> Uh, like him, who have been kind of journeymen and been around and been to different clubs, who who really struggle at this stage of their careers. So, it's like a massive hats off to Joe Willis um, for being, I think, a, a strong contender for a goalkeeper of the tournament. I think that in an expansion side, there's sort of like a, a an inordinate amount of pressure on the goalkeeper to to set the pace to set the pace. Yeah. You know, in in uh, goalkeeper is a position on which there's always pressure, but you can almost a, a, a team's identity can almost rely on that position from time to time. Um, and expansion teams don't always have the best defense, so that can be a thankful that can be a thankless position to uh, position Absolutely. to be in. But coming out of Houston, I think that that Willis has really provided um, that rock and in. Uh, in conjunction with Walker Zimmerman, mm-hmm. um, to like provide that that uh, that stable and calm defensive mm-hmm. identity. Yeah. Uh, now we have Caleb Porter and Bruce Arena will be will be meeting again. Love it. After uh, people were people were mentioning the. The uh, the the Timbers LA Galaxy match in uh, in 2013 uh, with this this tremendous picture of uh, Caleb Porter celebrating as MLS.com MLSsoccer.com uh, su- uh, suggests celebrating lustily wow. uh, as as Bruce Arena uh, as Bruce Arena reacts reacts so. It'll be interesting to see those two uh, those two coaches play against uh, play up against each other uh, in this game. Absolutely, I'm I'm excited for for that matchup. Um, before we get to the future mashup mash mashups, well, a bit of that too. Um, I don't think either of us really quite knew what to expect with Seattle Dallas, but we both expected Seattle to win, like most other people on this planet, <laughs> and when they did. However, <laughs> because it's MLS, because it's 2020, it does not come from Jordan Morris, <laughs> Rui Diaz, or Nicholas Ladero. It comes from <laughs> Dynamite Shane, oh, Neil. Shane O'Neill, who has not scored in six years to do the damage and get the lone goal. What, did he play for the Rapids, score for the Rapids, go to Europe and come back? With, Something like that. Actually, goal? I think that's if you score for uh, Colorado, you are immediately sent to Europe. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you were the, I remember my prediction was like the the polar opposite uh, in every way, except I think the result of what actually happened to this. Yeah, game. this is one where I feel like we both guessed it right, but do we really get credit for guessing it right when we're so far off in terms of the scoreline? Like, I said three. I said four three, which I don't think is a bad prediction because I think we both thought, okay, two teams that are overall really good and have defensive chops, but are both you know they they like to get forward and they like to take lots of chances so it'll be an open game so i think that 
that makes sense. I mean, I was slightly closer at 2-1 for Seattle. But this was, I think, a, a lot closer than other people thought. My question to you is, do you think at any point Seattle was ever in any real danger in this game? Don't yeah. think so. Um, I watched this after work and did uh, was asleep for much of the first <laughs> half. Um, not intentionally. I started the game and I was like, hmm. Um, so it didn't seem like there was a lot going on there, but uh, yeah, I don't have anything in my... Um, because for the for the sole reason that um for the sole reason that 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 it's a one nil game there are two outrageous chances for uh for Dallas i want to say around the 70th minute mm-hmm. um and that could have changed the complexion um but so i have here Hollingshead cross finds Barrios at the far post who hits the word work rebound uh, falls to Ricarte who pings it off of Gamar. Um, but that was the two chances in the same play. Uh, and, and I think probably the two best one, cause they didn't those because one of them was a block mm-hmm. shot and one of them was off of the woodwork. Neither were, uh, were shots on target. And indeed Dallas did not record any shots on target. Yeah. Yeah, they had a they had a couple of uh, I think they had a post and a and a blocked shot shortly after that, but it didn't. I think that's the one. What's that the post and the block. I think that is the post and the block yeah, shot. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> In the same play. <laughs> I mean, overall, I thought Dallas so, played pretty good, given the fact they're playing Seattle. Um, defensively, they largely did what they needed to do. I mean. On the set piece where Seattle gets the goal, they're marking zonally, and O'Neal just beats his man and scores far post. You could say Dallas should have had a defender on the far post. I think playing Seattle, it's a bit more important to be marking a player in the box or um, even grabbing a zone. I think that's a better call, so I I don't even think that that's necessarily um, a mistake. Um, I just think it's a good goal, and that's why Seattle are champions, because they find ways to score goals, and they have players across the pitch that can do it. Um, And obviously, outside of the three absurd goal scorers they have, they're still able to win against a really good team. Um, You know, overall, I was trying to think about this game from a perspective of what do you say against... What do you say about any team that's playing against Seattle and is going to lose and get knocked out? Because... You don't want to overstate things <laughs> that Dallas, you know, <laughs> needs to rethink everything. For me, I really felt like, uh, you know, I'm not really sold on Jara. He's an expensive player that was supposed to come in and do a lot more. Um, and yeah. I feel like has largely kind of fallen flat. Um, we'll see if he sticks around and um, if he's able to put together a better second season. I also felt like, you know, Barrios was kind of another person where it's like he's a very familiar name around FC Dallas, but he provided a, a bit of a lift when he came on, but the, the finishing isn't quite there. And so overall, I think for Dallas, it comes down to this. Just they, they do need a bit more finesse and a little bit more um, finishing prowess. They need the goals as well as the defensive side. But I think the system overall works pretty good. I think it's a... a, a... A fair note about Jara, at least because if you look at seven goals in 19 games, that's not 
that's not no. terrible. Um, but the importance of having somebody good in that role is that uh, Ricarte is so good. Yeah, and you have him. You've got to you've got to make the best of Ricarte while you have him. And I wonder if that could be another forward, as opposed to as opposed to Jara. Given that, given that you bring that up, and and I don't think that Ricarte was bad in this game. Mm-hmm. No, I don't think so. But uh, maybe there was an, an issue with them linking up. Yeah. Um, on the Seattle note, uh, we got well. More specifically, I got a bit taken to task on Twitter, which also fulfilled a lifelong dream of mine, which was to be criticized for something I said on a show on Twitter, which means that the person had to have actually listened to the show and isn't just responding thank you. to a tweet. <laughs> um, so Sounder Navia, thank you for your, your notes. And it was it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think I was a little bit down on Seattle's defense. And you, the point was ba- essentially like, given the season and given how many goals Seattle's scoring giving up the goals that they give is like like it's kind of a given you know it's like being like well it's not perfect right, right. but it's pretty good and i think i i definitely overstated where the weaknesses in Seattle's defense were i my point was sort of just like a, if we're trying to find something to pick on about Seattle it's not like you can't score a goal against them is probably a better statement <laughs> but that makes but, sense and they cert- but they certainly they certainly did respond to that by not allowing any shots on target. <laughs> True. Exactly, yeah. Um but I, I appreciated the notes and I mean and that's one of the things that I've enjoyed about the, the playoffs overall, just to divert for a, a brief second, is is sort of forgetting like that camaraderie and actually being able to talk about sports with people and um and also like have like what's the right word I'm looking for? I guess like civil dialogue. That's also a little bit pissy because we are rivals, <laughs> but, it, but it actually be able to have a nuanced dialogue and, and point out things about games or things that, that people miss. I know I've learned a lot about other teams from commentary that's coming from, from fans and folks that follow the show. So, um, yeah. And as you said, the Seattle defense that I'd rated so poorly certainly <laughs> did their job. So, and and I agree with you that it's not so poorly. The issue is is that, is that there is a way to beat Seattle, yeah. and and if you if you're looking for a, a, a vulnerability, it's yeah, it's like it would more, be like it's more of a vulnerability than there. And attack. I think we've done it with a player like Nuhu, where you're like he's prone to mistakes, where it's like he does make mistakes sometimes, and overall. He's a very effective player, both going forward and defensively. So, sure, you know, but it doesn't mean that he's um, your weak link. It just means that if you're trying to look for a player in recent memory that's made a couple of mistakes that might be exploitable, that there's one option. <laughs> unlike unlike the drill tweet, please do yell at us. It will only make our opinions better. Exactly. <laughs> um, the I. Uh, one particular Seattle defender, I really uh, appreciated Yamar's performance. Oh, yeah, I thought he did great in this yeah. game. I, I think um, a player that like quite rightly kind of got his dues in this game. I think lots of people have been talking about him all season, and I'll admit I, I haven't really been paying too much attention or noticing. But yeah, it's a really top shelf performance from him in this game. Um, 
I think another big surprise uh, beyond the Orlando game, and, and perhaps one of the 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 biggest shocks that uh, that this round had in store was a 12-minute span in Sporting Kansas City versus Minnesota. Yeah. Um, Sporting Kansas City came in as the top seeds. Uh, they had had uh, a great first-round match, and you thought, well, they're uh, they're good to go. We're, we're, we're rocking and rolling for them. Uh, and then, out of nowhere, Minnesota hit three quick goals in the first half. And I think that I wanted to pick... Uh, your point back up um, about Orlando not uh, recentering. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people were wondering why there weren't more substitutions earlier uh, for Sporting Kansas City. Yeah. Um, and, and, and why that team didn't try to sort of uh, try to reorient itself after it found itself 3-0 three, uh, three down on the 39th minute. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of teams that that looked a little stretched, I I I put like, I mean, okay, Minnesota brought the heat in this one. They they won this game. <laughs> like, Sporting Kansas City definitely lost it, but I feel like really we need to yes. highlight Minnesota won this game. They came in That's with a game true. plan. They got the three early goal or the three quick goals. I thought they played beautifully, um, and that shouldn't be a, a surprise to anyone at this point. Um, but open the Reynoso gate, <laughs> but I do feel like Peter Vermees has, I think er, before the playoffs, we asked each other, like who would be most disappointed by, uh, the playoffs. And, um, I don't, who did we say? Oh, t- we put teams most disappointed. You said Philadelphia. That, oh, wow. That turned out to be true. Well. I said Colorado. <laughs> I feel like given Colorado's performance, that was also true, but I feel like, yeah, Peter Vermees has got to be a grumpy dude about this one. Um, I thought he had a great, he had a great angry cat face. Yo, oh man. The, he, the I mean, goal. he doesn't crack a lot of smiles anyway, but that was, uh, I was like, stop showing him. It's making me nervous. It looks like when I dis <laughs> dad's disappointed and he's staring right at me. Um, I thought that over, like I thought Johnny Russell played okay, but looked very tired given all that the team has gone through and he's gone through this year. That's, that's fine. Um, I know he's been on a bit of a goal scoring drought, but he's not, he's also primarily not there to necessarily score goals. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, Gerso as well. I mean, Gerso is always great, but I thought he had a a pretty good game and, and a handful of others. It wasn't a, uh, total collapse from sporting Kansas city, but they, they certainly never quite got back into their groove. And to your point about, the substitutions yeah it it happened really late at a point where the game was gone and it's like dude roll the dice like get you need something to pick your team back up but if you just want to maintain some like possession and calm like that's not what you need right now that's inviting another minnesota goal and i think that almost came Mm -hmm. a couple of times and it was only by bringing subs on that i felt like sporting kansas city even looked like they were playing in the same game now, the the yeah, go ahead. the Minnesota rush was this. Uh, I mentioned Emmanuel Reynoso, but uh, but but not just him, but also his uh, his his uh, linking up with Kevin Molino, who who hits this first goal on the twenty seven minutes, 
He takes a shot with poise after a slick and clever pass from Reynoso. Yeah. And then the 35th minute. It's an amazing pass and an amazing goal. It's this. Reynoso kind of looks like he's standing in place when he flips the ball up for Molino. Mm-hmm. Who, it's not quite a scorpion kick. But, like, essentially, he's he's uh, he's falling down. And sort of just, just barely gets his boot on it. If there's a bicycle uh, kick, the then wall. I feel like this is the falling off your bicycle kick. <laughs> the falling off your bicycle kick. Like at the point Good. where he makes contact, he is kind of falling over. <laughs> I mean, I know he's reading that situation to kick the ball, but it's it's an absurd goal. So you then look at that point and you think, what? And then not four minutes later... Devasi gets the the header again off Reynoso, uh, and and all of a sudden the the dynamic of the game from where it had started, because um, you had been mentioning that like there were two guilt edge chances for Sporting Kansas City early on. They certainly didn't come into the game uh, looking flat. No, no, and and uh, this is this is sort of like a, a tale of the thing that kind of got away from them. Um, yeah, they had these two early chances. Uh, bikes, bikes all. <laughs> I'm just gonna throw a bike into everything now. Boxall clears the first one off the line. Um, then Russell's denied by Saint Clair. Good young Canadian kid got himself into the first team and just looked like an octopus in net. So I think there's that side of this game as well where you go. Yeah, without St. Clair's stops, um, there's easily two Sporting Kansas City goals in here. I mean, that is kind of the point of the game, right? Is your goalkeepers is helping you out with the the old winning of things. But um, I really do feel like Sporting Kansas City kind of met their match in uh, Dane St. Clair. And it's like they that rattled them, maybe. <laughs> I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but... Just a really, really fantastic saves from him. At 23 years old, he's playing like a guy who's got a lot more experience. He was great. The saves were really good. I wanted to ask your opinion on the the, the whether or not you are, you are hard on Sporting Kansas City defensively. Because one of the things that almost strikes me about some of these balls out for Reynoso is that they... They come from low, not low pressure, but it's like, it doesn't, it's not like some of these, uh, these assists in his, his record, you know, he, I guess his, he set in his last game, he set the record for three assists in the same game and then did it for a second consecutive game here. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't look like they're coming from dangerous positions. But he's an extremely dangerous player, so mm. it's like that second that second Molino goal. I almost wonder, like, how do you defend against that assist? Where it's like, well, we got to make sure that he doesn't uncork a weird looping ball that flies fifteen yards onto yeah. the foot of a guy who's falling over. Yeah. Well, and, and this is one of those few times too where I'm a little bit easier on the defenders for thinking maybe he's offside, and they're not completely stationary. But I think they they really think he's offside when he gets that ball. And at first look, that's certainly kind of how it looked in the broadcast. And then once they replayed it from a couple of angles, you're like, oh no, that's a that's just being that's a really well timed position. Um, 
Yeah, I I wouldn't be too down on Sporting Kansas City's defense at at times. It's not been great. I think one of the announcers in the broadcast said like Sporting Kansas City have kind of found themselves in first place in the Western Conference, but maybe that's not entirely accurate. Like I mean, it's accurate for the way that this season happened, but it it doesn't really reflect the, any sort of dominance that they've had because they haven't had a ton. I mean, they've had some great blowout games. Um, the reason why I picked Minnesota to win this game is because they're really good at breaking lines. And that's the thing that's made them so dangerous is that this isn't just a couple of key players. I mean, Reynoso helps because he's had all three assists. And like you said, a dangerous player in a non-dangerous area is going to beat a lot of great defenders. So, uh, you know, could uh, the marking on him been a little tighter? Sure. Could he have also then beaten that tighter marking? Probably. So, like, I don't mind giving him a little bit of extra space to to be able to match his run if he decides to take off, and as a result, he decides to to chip it into the box. Like, at some point, what are you going to do? Um, but it's this ability to break through lines and, and play a little bit more direct at times. These really low, dangerous balls that came in were uh, a massive problem for Sporting Kansas City to deal with as they are lots of teams. So, you know, in terms of Sporting Kansas City going away and thinking, okay, what do we need to do differently? They didn't have their star player in their lineup. That was a a big bummer and took a lot out of their attack. Um, And I kind of felt like they rode the playoffs to the end of the line. Like this was as far as they were going to go before they met a team that was a little bit more consistent and had slightly better organization the the subs as you mentioned is a bit of a, a head scratcher but i i feel like uh minnesota was always going to win this one um i just think they're a better organized team and it's i'm so fascinated to see what happens i think seattle's still going to beat them but the point about this game is i went look Minnesota has a much better chance of beating Seattle than Sporting Kansas City ever did. And I, I think that, and I'm talking about this season again, I don't think you throw out a bunch in the off season about Sporting Kansas City, but they haven't had all the pieces there. And and I think that they did real good for what they had and they came up against a better team. And then we, we saw what happened and I feel like it's a fair result. If you, uh, when you mentioned the, the, issue with uh, Minnesota's lines. I was looking at the graphic of um, Sporting Kansas City's uh, 4-1-4-1 and and a team that can really get in there and break through those lines is well equipped against a team like Sporting Kansas City that has you know uh, Russell and Gerso who are expected to contribute both on attack and on defense. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um I think which makes them which makes them in, in addition to I think that the the great points that you made about them really sort of running out their their string and and and, and finding this this year's team's ceiling in the playoffs it's it's like uniquely ill matched yeah yeah and and like I don't <laughs> it's it's difficult right cuz I don't want to overemphasize that Sporting Kansas City had a pretty good season. Obviously, first place in the conference, it feels really weird to be, like, criticizing the team that was first. 
Um, mm-hmm. And maybe we're slightly over relying on most recent memory of the, this playoff performance. But the, I, th- I think that lots of Sporting Kansas City fans would have to agree that there's been lots of things this season that haven't gone so well and moments where they looked a little bit shaky. And I, I feel like a lot of those things, again, just kind of caught up to them, that they, they played to their level with the players that they had. They looked very, very flat in the second half, and they desperately needed some subs. But, I, I mean, they could have used a fresh 11 at that point. Like, everybody just looked <laughs> really, really tired. And and this season, I just I don't think it makes any sense to really criticize a team for that. So, um, yeah, maybe with Polito it would have been a different story. Um, and, I, 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 yeah, I don't think Sporting Kansas City's defending was bad, just to be clear, SKC fans, if you <laughs> I but I think Minnesota is really good at breaking down defenders and breaking through those lines and um and that's why this was such an emphatic win. It's going to be I think that you're you're exactly right that it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Minnesota and Seattle. They're not a team that played each other this year. They're mm-hmm. not teams that played each other this year. Uh last year was uh Seattle one win, uh Minnesota uh one one draw. Um, if you look at the some of the numbers uh, involving the two, you can see that they kind of have um, similar amounts of, uh, of of concur of of concordance with the, the the games in which they scored four plus goals, the games in which they scored three goals. One of the big issues, one of the one of the big differences, of course, is that uh, Seattle had eight clean sheets in, in twelve games where they conceded one goal, whereas Minnesota had eleven clean sheets in three games where they conceded one goal. So Minnesota can hold it down; uh, has has exhibited uh, an ability to hold it down that way. Hmm. Yeah, I this it's going to be. I hope a really good match. Um. Part of me wants to say I think Minnesota's going to bring some surprises and, and give Seattle a, a bigger challenge than people are expecting. But I got to say, I just feel like Seattle has the goods and is still going to be fairly comfortable in this game. Um, I think it's going to be 2-1 Seattle. You really look at the, 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 the four teams remaining. Seattle is the only clear-cut you know, uh, perennial contender left. Yeah. Um, and, and you're right about surprises. Um, the, uh, my hearts, my, my heart of hearts wants, uh, Kai Kamara to win that last cup. <laughs> yeah. And maybe he could be that surprise or, uh, and, and, um, and that would certainly be, uh, tremendous to see. I agree I think that I think that Seattle is going to have it, and in I think just to have a, a slightly different outset, a, a slightly different outlook, that we're going to see two nothing. Hmm. Yep, that, that sounds very possible. Now, I'll just remind our viewers, listeners, that uh, when you and I predict the same thing, you and I have been one hundred percent correct. Well, when we go when we go test. our separate ways, it's about 50-50. I think I might have just edged you this week, but I also feel like my goal prediction's so off that it doesn't really count. But 
<laughs> we are fine. 100% correct when you and I guessed the same team to win. So, if that trend continues, I mean, yeah, we could, we could do a whole show about the ways in which Minnesota could potentially win this game, but facts who do are facts. You, uh, who do you have in, in, in Columbus, New England? Ugh, this one's so hard. Oh, I really, like, I'm sweating thinking about it. <laughs> I'm going to say New England takes this one because part of me just wants to be that, like, in the minority of people that guessed it right if they somehow win. So I feel like my gut is telling me Columbus wins this one. I think New England has a chance. So I'm going to say this one is one nothing New England. Ooh. I don't know. I'm going to say... 3-1 Columbus. That sounds like a possibly more realistic squiggle line. I don't think, like, like, like I, I don't think New England comes into this uh, a, a huge underdog. And, of course, no. people were making the jokes about Minnesota, uh, like, before the Minnesota game was 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 over. Brian Schmetzer is going to call himself an underdog with a gleam in his eye. Yeah, 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 yeah. After this. Um... In, and every team loves to say that because it's practically a meme by this point. Um, I can't remember if that's something somebody said either. Um, but the... Uh, I still think that you... I think that after the last two rounds, you can't... Um, you can't walk into this assuming that there's no chance that, that New England is going to win. Um, and I think it's 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 much closer to fifty fifty than results would indicate, but I still kind of believe in in Columbus. If you if you think about the character of the team of of New England as having this 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 ability to stay calm in in situations, I think that Columbus has um, more of an ability to accelerate, like. Like I think they can get a couple goals more quickly. They could change the game a little in ways that some of New England's opponents were unable to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel <laughs> I just feel like a broken record, being like it's going to be interesting. But this this is probably the closest playoff matchup I think we've had. Um, so far i i think i think it's two teams that have played really great this season um and and certainly uh, i think both have a great system um not a ton of mistakes on either side i feel like across the board two really strong lineups with a lot of depth i mean it feels like a bit of a, a coin toss in my gut, yeah, Columbus tells me that they, they find a way to win this one. But just for the, the fun of it, I'm going to say New England and and get to pretend that I'm not surprised if they win. <laughs> your, your, your boldness. Um, so bold. Outside of, outside of the league, uh, or, or, or I, I was joking that it, sem- it seemed that the moment that Toronto uh, got eliminated, that Canada, between CONCACAF games... And some of the other uh, stuff that that has occurred, that it almost feels like Canada snapped into to off season mode instantly. 
Yeah. Uh, some of these some of these changes include uh, Osorio indeed um, has been given a, a one match ban for the kick to the nuts. Sometimes the balls just catch up to you in the end. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Um, against Nashville, um, the uh, uh, Montreal has uh, Radio Canada was reporting that Montreal wants to rebrand from the Montreal Impact to Montreal FC, Boo. Um, which has been noted was the initial name for the club, but. Not the name that they have had for the you know for more than a decade in 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 MLS and in the USL. I just I I agree with you. Uh, it seems so boring. Well, yeah, like I mean, I think it's a stupid decision, but also it's a boring one. Like it, it's a very Dynamo rebrand where you're like nobody needs this, nobody's at, really asking for it, and it doesn't really <laughs> change anything. Other than make everyone have a moment where you're like, why? This is stupid. Don't do it. Okay, I guess this is the way it's going to be. And now there's FC in the name. Sure. And everything just carries on much as it was before. It just, it's it's interesting in like a pandemic economy that's like, that's the off-season move you decided to really prioritize. <laughs> okay. Uh, Forge FC defender or uh, David Edgar has announced that he will be retiring from active play also uh, at the conclusion of this month. <laughs> no, yeah, it's a, great. It's, it's a it's, it's the end a, of an era. For Canadian it's the end of an era for Canadian players. He was certainly uh from the moment that he got that uh New Year's Day goal in two thousand seven um for Newcastle United against Manchester United. Um he became one of the most uh exciting young Canadian players in Europe. He uh, he came back. He's he went to a number of teams, including the Vancouver Whitecaps. Unfortunately, he got into, I believe, a vehicle accident um, and oh, missed right. a, a, a chunk of a season. Yeah. Um, and didn't really play that many games for the Whitecaps. Um, and and has found himself at the end of his career with Forge FC, um, winning both the first and second uh, North Star Shields with that team, and just. You know, uh, a player, not just the end of an era, but that bridged eras. Yeah. Because he, yeah. he came in at the end of sort of a generation of Canadian players. Um, He's sort of like he between made... the Atiba Hutchinson and the Alfonso Davies era. like Totally. Yeah. That's 100% agree. And and it will be sad to see him go. And I, we're, we're going to talk about uh, Forge... Went and, and played their Concacaf champion or not champions Concacaf League quarterfinal um, to get a spot of the Champions League. It it would seem like a waste if not a waste, but I would love to get a chance to celebrate David Edgar with a game in Canada, whether or not it's a, a testimonial for for one club or another, or uh, or the void. He's he said he's going. He's not going to stick around for the Voyagers Cup, but. It's... But like, can we give him like an honorary sub on in the ninety sixth minute in a Canada match or something? Like, just <laughs> the, run onto the uh, field to have people cheer your name, and then the final whistle goes. Can't we give him that? We have not seen him play his final game because, unfortunately, Forge did not beat Arca High FC, uh, the Haitians, in their game uh, that they played in the Dominican Republic. 
Uh, they they tied one one um, in regular time and, and lost four two on penalties. So now they Oops. will go uh, to Honduras to play marathon. On I have it in my phone. Uh, that game is at ten Eastern on the eighth, um, which will be uh, which will be an, ex- an, an another chance to get a look at it. it Edgar before the end of his career. This game was one that uh, my understanding is that that Arca High had beaten uh, better beaten better teams than it before. They they kind of seemed like a pesky team yeah. in some ways, and uh, Forge could have had a lot of goals in uh, in the ninety. They had Mobabuli uh, got a header off a free kick that was disallowed for offside. Um, they got the the just before halftime, they did get a penalty, which they scored. But there was some stuff from there was some stuff from uh, from Kritzen that looked great. Uh, and there are definitely uh, there are definitely chances that Forge had to establish the lead or establish a greater lead. Now, but uh, it is unfortunate for Tristan Henry who um, who benefited. In the Campiel final, when uh, Christian Oxner uh, was the was the unfortunate uh, victim of a of a howler mm-hmm. or the creator of a howler, that it was a defender played back to him under pressure, and he just took too long. He just took a couple seconds too long to 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 take his 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 clearance, and in fact, it was blocked by an onrushing. Uh, attacking player Kervitz Jolikor who uh, who scored it, and then instantly we had a five, a seven a five minute plus break to zap strap the Arca high goal back to the post, uh, which is how you know you're in Concacaf. Um, if there's not a zap strap, I'm not interested. I want to know that thing's not going anywhere. <laughs> the uh, they, there's no extra That's time. Very, I feel like as a ur, former urban rec player, I just really, there's something so satisfying about somebody <laughs> zap strapping a net to the goalpost. Like, uh, you know what? It, that That is not a task beneath any player or person. <laughs> no. The, um, they did not have any uh, periods of extra time. They went right to penalties and uh, it was kind of academic when the first two players uh, were saved um, by Ramont, the Arca high keeper, including Kritzen, um, who scored the penalty, who scored the first penalty, uh, or sorry, who scored a regulation penalty and then was saved in the shootout. Um, And Henry, again, who is usually very strong, was not able to get a, a, a save. So, this will be a disappointing one for Forge. I think that we're still in the, the infancy of, of Campiel's presence internationally, so it's kind of hard to tell where exactly the level was. Mm-hmm. Um, but in some in some areas, they were overmatched. In, in other areas, they failed to take their chances. And so, and so their next game is a, a must-win scenario to stay in? Uh, so they're now out, like if they, they, they can't win CONCACAF league, right? Okay. but the next game is a play-in 
for there are the CONCACAF League offers six spots in the CONCACAF Champions League, um, which would have gone to uh, all four semifinalists. So they missed out on the on the semifinalist spot. Gotcha. Now they have a play-in game against Marathon, and the winner of that game will get a CONCACAF Champions League spot. And then if they lose that, then they go play Toronto. Uh, in the Voyagers Cup, so they they have they they are they have this uh, they are spoiled with riches of of three consecutive games. I don't know um, that that's how they'll see it, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's your, your... this should be a, an interesting game against a Toronto that will be having, I assume, probably an interim coach at that time. That was one of the weirdest. Uh, moments of the whole week, uh, and it's hard to believe that it was only four days ago that um, Greg Vanny announced that his time, his six years with Toronto, has come to an end. Um, despite the fact that Toronto had that uh, that unfortunate bounce out uh, from from Nashville, it really didn't seem the the club took every effort to make it clear that it wasn't a results-based thing, that it was kind of his decision. Um, the soccer world waits to hear what he's going to do next. Yeah, it, it's... I was not quite expecting that one. I mean, I guess it makes sense in a way that he's he's just deciding to move on. He's set the team up for success, and, you know, like, what's what else is he really going to do there besides try to repeat past performances and... Uh, win them more championships. I do feel like this is a team in transition because they have a lot of older players that are uh, not necessarily as uh, helpful as they need them to be. And also uh, a couple, I believe they passed on Piatti. So, you know, they've got DP spots to fill, but that's a good opportunity for a new coach to come in. The big question, of course, is like well what's he gonna do (laughs) like all right he's looking for new opportunities i don't even think the ink was dry on the tweet before people were like la galaxy he's going to la galaxy (laughs) while a tasty proposition i wanted to ask you like do you think there's any meat on the bones of that rumor i i feel like it well i don't know i'll ask you the question I, I've seen, I went and looked, uh, I looked it up a little more today. It seems like galaxy sources are suggesting that they're, 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 they're slightly pumping the brakes on that a little, uh, at least that it's not, uh, the, the of the galaxy.com literally says not so fast. Uh, and I don't know We're we're seeing that there are other, that, that there's chatter that that's not necessarily uh, we don't we don't know where exactly where that's going to be at certainly the discussion is based around the fact that um, Vanny was very successful in his um, his previous role the uh, in Toronto the fact that he was a part of the previously record setting 1998 LA Galaxy side himself uh, and the fact that you know they're looking for a team they're they're certainly looking for a coach to help them rebound pretty quickly. Yeah, and and, well, and, and some stability. Absolutely. Like I I feel like, you know, yes, the fact that he's a part of that team certainly gives it some weight, but there doesn't seem to be anything other than just that speculation that links him <laughs> to the club. 
I mean, I somewhat jokingly said, like, he's completely all wrong for LA Galaxy because he's a team-focused player and he's good at setting up defenses. So I don't see LA Galaxy... <laughs> I don't see the Galaxy top brass going for that. They're going to probably end up with Keane and just buy another expensive striker and hope for the best. Um, Before this, people were talking about uh, Irish former Irish striker Robbie Keane is, is one of the leading per- people in that role. Yeah, I honestly... Like, of course, it would be an absolutely great signing for LA Galaxy, and it's not one I, I anticipate they'll make. I think the the club itself has a, a mentality that's very stuck in the past and their past successes, and they've literally just been trying to replicate that same system over and over again that has not worked. It's interesting that they've they like they're trying to replicate a thing that Bruce Arena ended up not having success with in the end that he has moved on from. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and yet, I mean, and I don't know, maybe that's being a little bit pessimistic, but I don't expect that the Galaxy are going to all of a sudden change their approach to how they set up a team. I I think they need to. I think it would be great, but I I haven't heard anything to that effect. Um, And all the names that have been tossed around as serious contention sort of seem to signal to... Uh, a similar type of style as to what they've played in the past. So, Patrick Vieira just got fired at Nice. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I think you bring up the Keen thing. I think it's more likely that they're going to continue down the key. Like, like I, unless they are truly. Um, unless they're they're truly starstruck by the amount of success that Vanny had in Toronto, um, you think that uh, I don't think Vieira probably would make them change their plans all that much. But it, it's certainly one of those ones that's more along the same lines. Yeah, yeah, huh? The former New York City manager and Arsenal player. I feel like he'd, he'd not be the worst pick there. I feel like that's uh, still an improvement. <laughs> oof. That's an oof for Galaxy. I mean, I, I don't know. I think I think Vier is a good coach. Um, I, I feel like he could have success there. I just... I haven't heard anything from anybody at LA Galaxy. Not that they're calling me up with it or anything, but like... Anything that I've read, there's nothing to indicate like, oh, we really need to examine ourselves. We need to look at how we build this club. We need to reorganize. You know, every team has made their roster decisions now. There's a lot of kind of weird ones on there where I was like, why are you negotiating with Felcher? Uh, Like, (laughs) just move on. Like, uh, and I get, you know, they don't have a coach right now, so you don't want to make too many decisions, I guess, but... There's, I have no, I've yet to see the evidence that LA Galaxy is really looking to rebuild and completely do things differently. And maybe it's out there and I just haven't seen it. Um, one of the things that weirds me out a little bit about the situation is that Vanny had this interview with TSN where he said that it was something that he was thinking about all year as, as though he had made up the decision earlier in the season. Um, but maybe it was just the fact that he was out of contract. He, whereas, uh, Jonathan Osorio said in an interview that he, he it was his opinion that it was kind of up to the last minute decision. Mm. And people have noticed that earlier in November, he's 
gave an interview, Vanny gave an interview where he said that they were in contract talks and he felt pretty confident about it. So, yeah, but I, I mean, I think here the, you know, between the lines is that everybody has had to make very different decisions than they expected to have to make this year. So there's probably a lot of personal stuff that we just were not privy to, nor should we be that are influencing this decision. And maybe, you know, I, I think what Vanny said back then was probably true. And what he's saying now is true that certainly you would be thinking about what your next steps are after a season like this season. And um, you still have to be diplomatic as well about your, your old club and, it's clear that he's interested in getting back into it. He did say he he doesn't do sitting around the house too well. So um, there's obviously an intention to continue coaching. We just don't know where, and you know we and we don't know that that will be MLS either. That's true. I haven't heard a lot of talk on where he would end up. When you search his name in in Google, the first thing that pops up is Celtic, which is not a, which is not a source. Also, that seems, boo. That seems to be the the discussion. Um, the, he, he certainly has left his mark on, on a team that in Toronto that had long looked for consistency and dominance and found it in him. They went to MLS cup three out of four years. They won the domestic treble in 2017 with the Canadian championship and the supporter shield and MLS cup. Um, in, and one of the, the great, successes that you have to uh, you have to identify for Vanny is that in that 2000 not just the fact that they made it to the final in 2016 when they were not a one of the more heralded sides out there not even the fact that they completely barnstormed the league on their en route to the 2017 win but that 2018 this is this is one if you're a, a Toronto fan there's a lot mm. to worry about with Vanny gone, but that 2018 team did not look like it was going to be in the finals the next year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they really looked like they had, they were experiencing a championship hangover. Um, and I think that there is a great, uh, the achievement in, in returning to the final in 2017 is great. And winning in 2017 is great. And you can, you can attribute to Vanny uh, the fact that they, you could have said that they were out of the top mix at that point and they made it back into the top mix. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so hopefully if you're, if you're a TFC fan, maybe that's what, that's what I, 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 I bring out of this is that it looks it obviously is not great to mm -hmm. to lose Andy, but uh, you could have counted out TFC before, and you would have been wrong. So, yeah, yeah, I I think it's a it's a it is an opportunity. It's hard to see it that way when a coach with so much success is going out the door. Um, lots of TFC fans on Twitter seem to be pretty despondent about it and not too uh, pleased with the front office and the direction they might be headed. Um, mentioning other key figures that have left TFC in, in the last couple of years. But I think that there's still an opportunity for Toronto. Other opportunity is Atlanta United is apparently one step away from signing Gabriel Hines um, from Velez Sarsfield, another Argentinian coach. Um, so that deal seems like it is all but done. 
after their worst season in MLS. Um, so that signaling a, a potential change for them. Admittedly, not a coach I know a hell of a lot about. Well, hold on. Let me... Uh, I This is one of those... We're in this... We are 100% we're in this era, no doubt. But we're, we're in this era where we're, we're, you know, you know, not to not to feel old, but <laughs> certainly we're in a transitional era where players that we grew up watching are now managing. But that was honestly my first thought when you mentioned Gaby Hines. I was like, did they sign Gaby Hines as a player? No, he retired <laughs> six years ago. Yeah. Uh, the former uh, PSG Manchester United Real Madrid player. Uh, but he has been he's been uh, managing in in Argentina, and uh, it will be interesting to see what that. Uh, let me see. Uh, Argentinos juniors won the Primera B under him, so he's he's been mm-hmm. building his resume over there. Um, it'll be interesting to see I what like- happens for Atlanta. We have. Uh, uh, I was thinking about them recently because uh, that was nice of you. In addition to the CONCACAF League games, we're bringing back the CONCACAF Champions League ties that got abandoned during the pandemic. Right. Do you remember that, like, the last game before everything got canceled was, uh, I'm I'm trying to remember who Montreal was playing. It was like a Montreal home game in Olympic Stadium. Everybody Everybody played their home games, and we are... We will, uh, in in the latest sign that it is March once again. Yeah, we we will be we will be resolving those series uh, midway through the month. I love that the in the announcement for well, not the announcement, but the kind of the story about uh, Heinz being almost signed. <laughs> they kind of let slip just a very twenty twenty like sentiment, which is Heinz would check a lot of boxes for Atlanta United with a former defender carrying serious name recognition in South America, fair, uh, and being available. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about the realities of this market, which is like, well, he checks a lot of boxes, such as people know who he is, and also he's available to do the job. We can hire him. He is hireable. It they, what what made me think about this is that Atlanta are Atlanta are playing Club America at home after losing away three uh, nothing back in March, and I was just thinking how different how different were things for Atlanta when that first game was played. Oh yeah, how what a what a journey we've been on since they they lost three nothing in Mexico. Yeah. Different, different time, different world, different team. Yes. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. You know, it's almost odd that you have these teams that are out of the playoffs that are that are resuming competitive play in, in December. But here we are. Um, and if that is, uh, maybe that'll be um, Heinz's first first appearance. It's tough to comment on that without knowing what kind of coach he is. Yeah, and what what the style is, but but certainly the issue in Atlanta was that everybody was not pulling in the same direction. Referring to Boer, the yeah. the style that the club expected and the style that the players wanted to play and the style that the manager were playing were all different. 
So, so how do you heal that fractured hole? You buy yourself some good defenders because you sold them all. <laughs> you go back to what was working. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But should be exciting. I don't. I mean, I think what we'll we'll maybe do is say like uh, teams announce their rosters, and we will get into that in a postseason show because obviously there's players whose options were declined, but who are still in contract talks. So there wasn't a, a ton of like really shocking moments. I don't think from any of the the roster announcements, but we'll we'll go into detail about that in a, a later show once things settle a little bit. And until then, where can we find you online? You can find me online taking the hits at That's So MLS on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, where can we find you? You can find me online at Team Bates on Twitter, www.team-bates.com. Please uh, like, uh, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Please just uh, please like us. <laughs> I thought that's what you were going to say. Please like us. On please the internet, pop. like us. Where do you, <laughs> you see that? Also, That's So MLS podcast on Facebook. Oh, yeah, that's right. We've never showed that out um, on Facebook, too. Till we, till we speak again, uh, if you are trailing 2-1, two, uh, two, don't mm-hmm. get sent off. Okay. 